Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, when I was at Union, I had a roommate whose name was Russell Rocket. The thing about Russell was he was the fastest guy I ever knew, so I guess Rocket was an appropriate uh, last name. But Russell was from Dyersburg. We'd grown up together. was a year younger than me, and he moved in after I'd already been there a year, but moved into our room. And at Union, the way the rooms are set up is uh, there's a common area, and then you have um, individual rooms. And so you, I had my own room, and then we had a living room together and a bathroom together. And so um, I remember moving Russell in. And Russell came in, and there were two things about Russell that, that you had to know. He, he was fast, so he played sports, so he had lots of sports stuff. But he was a big George Strait fan. He was a member of the George Strait fan club and went to see him whenever he could. So he had George Strait memorabilia in his room. Now, those were the two main things I saw. And so as I was unpacking, it was George Strait stuff. And he was, now, I'm really not sure how I let him room with me because he was a Florida Gator fan. So he had Florida Gator stuff everywhere. And then I pulled out this poster that didn't seem to fit anything. And he said, it's my favorite quote. And it was a quote from Charles Swindoll about attitude. And this is what it said. The longer I live, which we were both 18 at the time, so that tells you we've been living a long time. But the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts, is important, more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain day, certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Now, the truth is we have seen that played out in lives of people. People that have terrible circumstances happen to them, and yet their attitude remains positive and good, and it's infectious to be around those people. And then we've seen people that don't seem to really have a whole lot of problems in life, and their attitude just stinks. And it's no fun to be around them. Attitude makes a huge difference in the way that we live our lives. You know, one of the most interesting places I see this often is when I go to, um, when I go to preacher conferences. Because at preacher conferences, sometimes preachers think they can just be normal people. And what you see real quick is there are a lot of preachers that like to complain about being a preacher. And I just discovered that just doesn't do you any good. The truth is every church has issues. We, we could sit around and all of us talk about our issues, but every church also has lots of really good things going on. And I choose, in light of what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of our congregation, to focus on the positive things that are happening and choose my attitude to be that direction. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be days of sadness and difficulty, but our attitude does make a major difference. Well, this afternoon what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter that 
gives us some attitudes that ought to be helpful. Does anybody here take vitamins? Anybody take vitamins daily? Yeah, I do. I take some vitamins. I, for a long time, I was taking the Flintstones, chewable vitamins. You know those? You know, when you look on the back, they're pretty good vitamins. I mean, and they taste a whole lot better than those horse pill vitamins that I sometimes have to take. I mean, we do crazy things for to try to take care of our bodies, right? I mean, we, uh, we were told recently that um, we needed to take some flax oil seed. Anybody here do flax oil seed? Anyways, we were going to do flax oil seed, and we didn't read how you're supposed to take it. Apparently, you're supposed to mix it up into something and take it. We just drank it. Now, here's the thing about flax oil seed. It's vegetable oil, and it tastes like drinking vegetable oil. And for the rest of the night, every time I took a bite of something, it got coated in flax oil seed before it went down. And it's crazy the things that people will do to try to take care of their body. Well, what we're going to talk about today is not um, physical vitamins, but they're almost like spiritual vitamins. These are things that fortify us and strengthen us on a daily basis. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And the first word there is young men, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit because you say, well, if there's ever a group of people you don't need to talk to about young men, it may be this group, Right. I mean, the only, uh, I mean, just looking around, none of us in this room are young men, um, at least in outward appearance, right? And so we're going to talk about what that means, though. In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, what Peter is going to tell them here is the first thing that they need to have, the first attitude that ought to be a part of our lives is submission. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you're told to submit to governmental authority. In 1 Peter chapter 2.18, we're told to submit to masters. In 1 Peter 3.1, wives are told to submit to their husbands. And to submit there means to line ourselves up under the authority of those whom God has placed over us. Now, in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we're instructed in another area here. It just says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now, the picture here is being called young men, and it's telling them when it comes to being older. Now, here's an understanding that we have to have. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter starts with this idea that um, the older among them are the elders among them. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, To the elders among you I write as a fellow elder. Now, in many, many ways, in those days and times, the word elder sometimes meant older. But it became in the Christian church not to just mean older, but it meant leadership. It meant wisdom. It meant people that were we're placed by God in authority there. And so the idea here is not just an age. It's that God places in all of our lives people who are authorities spiritually in our lives. Now, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, that these older or elder people are, are pastoral leaders and that they are to be good pastoral leaders. 
They were to be shepherds of God's flocks, to take care of the people that are underneath. So whoever these young men are, they are to submit to the pastoral leadership. Some say that, that, that the young men just are young men. That That's just what it means. It means that they're young. Perhaps it's because these young men were, had the most independent spirit or um, that younger people were trying to, to do things that, that weren't wise. But I don't think from all of my research that it is simply an age thing here. Many scholars believe that the word young men literally means newer ones. People that are newer in the faith or newer in the church ought to submit to those who have been walking with the Lord. The idea is not in physical age, but in spiritual age. So whatever Peter has in mind here, he he intends that all of us are to line ourselves up at some point under the spiritual authority that God has placed in our lives. Hebrews 13, 17 says that obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as a man who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So these spiritual leaders are accountable to God for watching over the souls of God's people. The church members are uh, submissive to the church leaders, and everyone is submissive to the authority that is placed in their lives. What this really is is a warning against rogue Christians. Uh, somebody that doesn't answer to anyone, someone that's not a part of a church, someone that's not um, listening to instruction that may come their way, that says, that well, nobody can tell me what I should think. Nobody should be able to tell me what the Bible says. Nobody should be able to ask me tough questions about how I'm living. If you're a serious follower of Jesus, you'll connect with a church, place yourself under spiritual care, who will help you stay strong in the Lord. One of the most important piece of advice I got in seminary was uh, they said that many pastors who uh, either fail morally or fail in a church setting are pastors who never allow anyone to kind of instruct them in the ways of being a pastor. And somebody told me, find an older pastor who you can submit to the authority of his instruction in your life. Now, that wasn't too difficult for me because every Christmas and Thanksgiving, I spend time with an older pastor, at least. Now, because I married his daughter, he wants to spend more than that, all right? And my brother-in-law is a wise pastor. But I see guys that don't have that. And the truth is, every one of us need to have a spiritual authority in our lives that we submit to their teaching and to their instruction. One pastor related conversation he had with a man in his church, and it was on a Wednesday night. It was after a men's Bible study group, and he came up to speak to him. And um, he, he just told the pastor, he said, uh, I've taken a, a responsibility in the church. I've told him I would do something, and I, I take that very seriously. And I, I want to ask you if you ever see in me any kind of attitude that is wrong or that would make it difficult for me to serve this position well. He said, I have blind spots, and I don't know all of my areas, and I want you to help me see them. The pastor said, when he came to me, he said, I didn't get the big head. Like, wow, look at me. He's asking me about this authority. He said, the thing I thought was, I am so humbled by the fact that he's willing to open his life up like that. That's what submission looks like. It's a process of growth 
that opened yourself up to instruction and correction in a gentle way. Peter says, young men, the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Then he says the second attitude is that you must show humility. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submission is fortified by humility. I don't have trouble lining myself up under someone in obedience to God if I have dealt with the pride that's already in my heart. If I'm proud, I'm not willing to set myself under someone. So the next attitude that fortifies humility or submission is humility. Now, uh, Peter says an interesting thing here. He says, clothe yourselves. It's a phrase that meant to tie something on yourself. Uh, And it really is kind of the picture of someone going into work and they're going to be a a waiter, a, a servant. And the first thing they do is they tie an apron Uh, It was the picture of a cook that goes into the kitchen and decides in order to protect themselves, they tie the apron on. And the symbol of that is that I am about to do work and I'm about to serve someone else. Paul says here that we are, or Peter says we are to tie on the apron of humility. It's a state of mind where I don't think of my own concerns. It's, It's not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about the supreme example of this. And what's interesting is, it tells us in the Scripture that he tied a towel around himself before Jesus went and washed the disciples' feet. It's the same kind of thing. He literally clothed himself in humility. Now, uh, during the week before we celebrated Easter, I was reading this this book to my, my sons. And uh, it's a really good book. I I would recommend, if you've got grandchildren and you're looking for something to give them for Christmas, they're, you know, I mean, Eli still loves it. In fact, I had it out, laid out, because I was going to bring it in here and talk about it. And Eli saw it laid out, and he opened it up and wanted to read it. It's really good. It goes from Genesis to Revelation and gives stories from the Bible. Okay? And so it tells it in a way that children can understand. But I thought I would read it to us tonight to help us relive that moment when Jesus showed what it meant to clothe yourself in humility. It says it was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room, but Jesus' friends were arguing. Well, what about? Well, they were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. I mean, not just dirty, really dirty. Dusty dirty. I mean, really stinky dirty. With all the cows and the horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on people's feet. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt. But it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do that? Only the lowliest servant. I'm not the servant, Peter said. Well, I'm not either, said Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down, 
and started to wash his friend's stinky feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes. All of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I'm doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for each other. Here's what's interesting to me about this little passage that we just read. When Peter says that we are to put on humility, we have to remember that one of those people around the table that night, when Jesus put on humility, was Peter. He had seen the example of Jesus, and he said for us to clothe ourselves with humility. He then talks about God opposing the proud. Let, let that soak in for a minute. It's a quote from Proverbs 3.34. You find it over and over in the Scriptures. God opposes the proud. I don't know fully what that ramifications are of God opposing the proud, but what I know is whatever God opposes, I don't want to be a part of. Because you're not going to win. And if God is opposing you because you're proud, then you need to change that attitude. When I humble myself, on the other hand, it says that God gives grace to the humble. So what Peter is saying is that God in His mighty hand, His sovereign power, God's at work in the affairs that seem totally out of our control. God is at work in the situations you don't understand. God is at work in the trials and the sufferings. Humble yourself under God's sovereign act all around you, and the same mighty hand will lift you up when the time is right. We don't know when it'll be, but God knows when He's finished. Here's the last ones. 1 Peter 5, 7. After submission and humility, there comes trust. And just like submission is fortified by humility, humility is fortified by trust. I can submit to God And to those whom he has put in authority if I'm humble. And I can humble myself before God and others if I'm confident in God and trust that he cares for me whatever may come my way because of his mighty hand. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let you the righteous fail. In Scripture, anxiety is is described almost as this kind of corrosive kind of, of 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 concern. It it tears us apart on the inside. It pulls us in different directions. In the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time, Jesus talked about anxiety a lot. He said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than the clothes? Later he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? A little later he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. This is one of those phrases people forget it says here. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Three times in a few verses, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's almost like he's saying, stop it. Quit it. Quit worrying. Now, the problem is we can't just quit worrying and not put those anxieties somewhere. Right. You can't just you can't just say I'm gonna I'm not gonna worry anymore because that stuff's gonna eat us up. But there was a song in the '80s. Some of you may remember. 
uh, called Don't Worry, Be Happy. And the whole thing was just Don't Worry, Be Happy. Well, that doesn't really work. I mean, it's a catchy little tune, but you got to have somewhere to put your anxiety. Where do you put it? Uh, when you go to the airport and, and you check in, if you're carrying luggage, isn't it a great feeling to give that luggage to someone else? When we go to Brazil, or when I travel anywhere now because I have three children, we have lots of stuff. And I love flying. One of the reasons I love flying is because it is somebody else's responsibility to load that thing onto the plane. When we go on a car trip, guess whose responsibility it is to load the car? It's my responsibility in my house. All right? So I got to get it all in there, and I got to get the baby bed and the 45 suitcases and the changing tables and, you know, whatever else has got to go. Because when we go anywhere, it's like we have to carry a circus around us we need a we need a if y'all see any 18 wheelers for sale somewhere we can use those on vacation all right well we just carry a lot of stuff and so it's my responsibility so when i get to the airport i love being able to place that luggage in the hands of someone who is going to take good care of it all right and they're going to take it away for me and they're going to get it to the right destination i mean think about this when i go to brazil i leave my luggage with somebody at uh, about 8 o'clock on a Friday morning, and I don't see it again till noon the next day. But I don't worry about it. Now, some people do, but they just have to deal with that in their own anxiety. I don't. I just trust it. Nothing I can do about it, right? Once I hand it over, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, in Scripture, He tells us to cast our cares on Him, to give Him our stuff. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I heard, we're going to close with this. I heard a story of a pilot in the Pacific Theater in World War II. He was flying a great distance, and he was forced to land on a remote island for fuel before continuing on with his flight. After he refueled and was airborne again, he heard an unusual sound inside of the plane. It was a gnawing sound. He looked around and immediately saw the problem. A giant island rat had climbed into the cockpit with him at the last stop. Now, he was flying solo. The pilot couldn't leave the controls. What could he do? He put on his oxygen mask. And he pulled the plane into a steep climb, higher and higher and higher. Soon the gnawing stopped. The menace couldn't take the lack of oxygen anymore. In the thin hair of high altitude, the rat just simply couldn't survive. And his anxiety was gone. Now what does that have to do with anything, Pastor? Here's the thing. When anxiety comes into our lives, how do we get out of it? We go into a steep climb of prayer and faith in the Lord. We trust Him. We cast our cares upon Him. And in a high altitude of communion with God and confidence in Him, the ugly menace of anxiety disappears. Three attitudes that will help you in life. Submission, humility, and trust. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you.